To open your Bibles to the book of Judges. We're going to look, start in Judges chapter 1. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a story about a turn of the century. There was an Oli. I already told you that I'm Norwegian, so this has special appeal to me. And he took his girlfriend Bess out on a summer outing. They took a picnic lunch out to a picturesque island in the middle of the lake, about a mile from shore. She wore a long dress with about a dozen petticoats. He was dressed in a suit with a high collar. Oli rowed them out to the island, dragged the boat onto the shore, and spread their picnic blanket out beneath a shade tree. So hypnotized was he by her, her beauty that he hardly noticed that the hot sun and perspiration on his brow. Softly she whispered to him and said, Oli, you forgot the ice cream. Oli pulled the boat back to the water, rowed to shore. He found a grocery store nearby, bought the ice cream, rowed back to the island, arriving with a dish of ice cream soup. By the end of that afternoon, Oli Evenrude had invented the outboard motor. And by the way, three months later, Oli married that girl who waited so long in that island and best worked with Oli on the marketing, and they grew a company called Evenrude. So sometimes you never know how the start of a story goes. But today we're looking into the book of Judges and how this story starts is we're about 1400 to 1200 BC. And the events of this book take place over approximately 300 years. And uh, if you want to think about that 300 years, that's longer than we've been a nation. That's how long just the story of Judges is in your book. And this obviously takes place after the death of Moses and Joshua and runs almost up the time of Samuel. Judges is not a chronological story. So when you read it and you study it, understand there are same things that are out of order. I'll give you an example. In Judges chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now after the death of Joshua, right? You see that right there? Now let's turn down to Judges one fifteen, And it says, uh, down there it's talking about, or sorry, we need verse, oh, where is it? Well, it is dealing with verse 15. It's talking about Caleb and all the water and all the other stuff uh, that we see in there. Um, and we can see also uh, in, the, in this part going on here, um, goes back to the, bush, uh, the book of Joshua. And in Joshua chapter, or Judges chapter 2-6, we can see that uh, Joshua is still alive. and says, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto inheritance to possess the land. In Judges 2.8, it says he died again. So one of the things to keep track of sometimes is God does not always put things A to Z. There's a reason why there's one verse in the King James Bible that is in 2 Timothy 2.15 that's different than all the other Bibles that are out there. Why? Because he wants you to study. He wants you to get engaged. He wants you to have a desire for the milk of the word. He wants you to get in there and find out there's some deep mysteries and deep things in the Bible, but you're not going to find them if you're just sitting on the sidelines, you're not going to find them. If all you, if the, all the, your Christianity is just what you hear from the pulpit, you're missing out on a huge part of Christianity. If your prayer life only happens, you know, during church services, you're missing a huge part of the prayer service that should be going on throughout the week. And it's the same thing here. When we see all of this in judges chapter two ten, it says all of that generation died. Uh, to remind you, all those people that were back in the land when Joshua and Caleb, uh, went out and, or, uh, went out and to spy out the land. And they came back and they said, yes, there's giants in the land, but we are well able to take care of them. But the other 10 witnesses said, oh no, we can't. We're just like grasshoppers in their sight. And so they decided not to go. Does anybody remember what happened right after that in the story? Anybody remember? They decided, you know what? We changed our mind, God. We're going to go up. And God goes, go right ahead. I'm not with you. And they, you know, started a war and lost it. And God told them, you know what? This whole generation, I'm not letting you go into the promised land. You're going to be out in the wilderness. Now, there were some great things that happened in the wilderness. Don't get me wrong. But what they lost was the ability to go in the promised land, to see that land flowing with milk and honey, to see all these promises come to fruition. And sometimes that happens in our own Christian lives. Sometimes we get so caught up in things that we don't want to necessarily, we're so busy, we don't even listen to God. And because of that, we miss out on some blessings. 
And uh, we can see some other things like that. Um, also in Judge, uh, Joshua chapter 24, 33 and Judges 20, 28, we see that uh, the dying off, the last of that group of people, they're gone. They're dead. All the parents are gone. Now it's the kids. Unfortunately for some of you, some of you may not have grown up in a good Bible-believing church. Let's just, let's just be honest. I didn't. Uh, I never got into a Bible-believing church until after I was married and, and had my first kid. Uh, I had no clue about the King James Bible issue. I had no clue about most Bible doctrine. Uh, I didn't even know, and to show you how ignorant I was, I was watching a basketball game and they had somebody holding up a sign that said John 3.16, and I had no clue what he was talking about. Oh, that's from the Bible. I wonder what that says. That's how ignorant I've been in my life. Um, so the kids that you have growing up in your church, I want to tell you, as parents, praise God for what you're doing. You are giving your kids such a head start far beyond anything I ever had in my life. And that's not to say that I didn't have teachers that wanted me to learn. And yes, I did learn the Bible stories, but that's all I learned. I didn't understand there's so much more to the Christian walk than just learning about stories. I mean, I could have just watched flannel graphs and that was the height of my Christianity for a long period of time. You know, and it makes it really rough because when you think of flannel graphs, you know, when you see Peter walking on the water... It just, it kind of ruins it because the water's like flat. I mean, it's just not the same. But that's the difference between somebody telling you the story and actually reading the words, the actual words that God wanted you to have. There's not one word in this Bible that's a mistake or an accident. Every single one he put in there is perfect and conveys exactly what he wants it to say. Now, because of that, there's the side part to it. He puts stuff in there to mess with people. You want to come to this Bible and you want to have a wicked, evil heart. God says, I've got some verses for you. I put this in one just for you so you could hang yourself with this. And unfortunately, we have churches all over Ridgefield and the rest of America that have hung themselves on these. Because why? Their heart wasn't right when they came to the scripture in the first place. God's right. Let every man be a liar. So the key verse I want you to look in, in the entire book of Judges, if you can only know one verse out of the entire book of Judges, or you can paraphrase it, here it is. Judges chapter 21. Judges chapter 21. And we're going to look, look in verse 25. The last verse in the book of Judges. In those days, there was no What? king in Israel, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Have you seen what's been going on in America recently? You know what's going on? Everybody's just doing what's right in their own eyes. And by studying the book of Judges, one of the things we can see is this pattern that happens over and over again where the nation of Israel goes off into apostasy. They do all the stuff that God told them not to do. So God judges them. They get in captivity. They have all these things bad happen to them. And then eventually, not right away, just like good American Baptists, not right away when the problem happens, they have to be, you know, they have to have one more night with the frogs kind of a thing. And they're like, oh, Lord, please save us. Please help us. And then God would send them a deliverer. And then he'd help straighten them all up again. And they're like, oh, yeah, our only Lord's God. And then just back into it again, over and over and over. So one way to look at it, a governmental system with a king on a king in charge or a queen in charge is a monarchy. If it's a governmental system with God in charge, it's a theocracy. What system would it be if everybody did what was right in his own eyes? Anarchy, chaos. Uh, you know, growing up, see, they had this big thing where they would paint A's, and put circles through them and stuff like that. When I was growing up, you know, all the place for anarchy. Well, we're living in it. Uh, we've got so messed up that we don't even let the police do their job anymore because, oh, they might be too violent to bad people. You know, they would much rather you as an innocent person be hurt than the, than the chance that somehow some bad person or some innocent person might be get treated bad a little bit. Do you see how out of balance that is? 
because we're afraid we might make a mistake, let's not do anything at all. That's essentially what they're saying. And that's what anarchy is. America, if in case, just for history lesson continued, America, what kind of government was it created with? A republic, a rule of law. It was not a democracy. It was never designed to be a democracy. A democracy is a rule of the people, which means if you have enough idiots all living in one area, or say from Olympia to Seattle, they can overrule everybody else in the entire state. Right? Or, you know, and, you know, you have the Portland metro area. That's pretty much Oregon, right? I mean, it's those kinds of things. It was supposed to be a rule of law where everybody had the same rules applied to them and it didn't matter who you were. In case you've paid any attention to news, the same rules are not applied to everybody. Because I guarantee if you did any of the stuff Biden, uh, Hunter Biden did, you'd be in jail already from a long time over. See, it's, it's, it's a different set of rules between the haves and the have-nots. That is exactly what the founders wanted to prevent. They wanted it to be a republic where it's the same rules for everybody. There were no people in the upper class that got special treatments. So in the book of Joshua, what we see here is anarchy. Uh, and what the problem is, I'm going to go back to, and I'm going to say something here, and I think it has a direct application to America is, do you know what Israel's biggest problem was? Why did we get all these problems in, in, in the book of Judges? Anybody want to hazard a guess? They're, they're, they wanted to be like everybody else. That's part of it. That is part of it. But I'm going to, I'm going to take it back a little bit. I'm going to blame a, a very specific tribe, the tribe of Levi, because they didn't do their job. They were told to make sure everybody knew the scriptures, that everybody knew the stories of God, that everybody knew what God required of them. And because they failed their job, there is a whole nation that ends up going, well, hey, she's pretty cute over there. You know, she might be across the county line or the state line, and she might be from Oregon where they're not smart enough to pump their own gas, but she's cute. That's all, you know, that's all that matters. Where was the Levite telling him, no, you marry from within Israel and that's it? Where was the elders who said, look, you go marry her, you're out. Get out. Because there's some people when they make mistakes, they need to have their fellowship broken in order for them to understand what's going on and the severity of the choices they made. Because they started with all these things, they're getting friendly with all the locals that they were, by the way, these are the same locals they were told, you kill them all. Right? Did they do that? No. So the problem kept coming back. By the way, have you ever noticed in the area of Israel, there's still a whole bunch of people there who are not Jews, who are still causing them problems. Still to this day. You know, we have bishops, pastors, cardinals, whatever title you want to use who are not fulfilling their job description today, who don't know who God is and are inspirationally filling Isaiah 5, 20 to 23. And we're not going to look at that. But turn over to Deuteronomy 33, 8 and 10. Deuteronomy 33, 8 and 10. This is where things, in my opinion, fell apart for them. Deuteronomy 33, verse 8. And Levi, he said, let thy Thuman and, and thy Urman be, the, uh, be with the Holy One, whom thou did prove at Massa, and with whom thou didst strive at the waters of Meribah. And then in verse 10, it says, they shall teach Jacob the, thy judgments, and Israel thy law. They shall put incense before thee, and the whole burnt sacrifice upon thine altar. It was their job. It has been the, in the, where we're at today is a direct relation because we have pastors on TV and everywhere else throughout this land who are failing on their God charged duty to what? Preach the word. That doesn't mean curry favor. That doesn't mean, oh, you snuggle up to all the rich people in the church, you know, the ones that have the do re me that might, you know, make sure you get paid a little more as a pastor and all that other stuff going on. The pastor is supposed to preach the word. That's what I'm trying to fill in and do for your pastor today. But there's so much more the pastor is supposed to do. He's supposed to be a living example to you. And yes, he's going to fail because we all fail. But his goal is to be the best example he can be. And as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And when I mess up, well, don't do that part. You just keep following the Lord. Just keep following the Lord. Keep pointing people back to the Lord. 
Well, if Israel would have kept pointing people back to the Lord, they would never have had all the problems they did here in the book of Judges. Uh, an example of this is the second law of thermodynamics. So this is as technical as I'm going to get tonight. But the second, this is my version of the second thought, second law of thermodynamics is all systems wear down over time. Or if you want the more kid version, it's everything goes to, <laughs> that's what happens. And you can see that you buy a new car. It is nice. Yeah. Let's wait about 25, 30 years. You know, when you get out there and you go out to it and you, you turn the key and you hear click, 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 click. You're like, uh oh, or, you know, you press the brakes and you hear squealing noises. You know, all those other things as the vehicle wears down. Yes, you can maintain it and keep it going, but it's never going to be as good as it was when, it, well, most of the time. There are lemons that come right off the factory and they're bad, but not counting those, you know, things wear down over time. Do you have a hot water tank at home? You know, guess what? Those don't last forever. We found out in our church during the middle of our camp for all our teens and, and uh, young adults, the hot water heater went out. Well, guess what? It had been there like 30 some years. It, it was more than due is what I'm saying. You know, your mileage may vary on your hot water tank. Depends on, you know, how many kids you have or what kind of kids you have. Like my cousins growing up, they like to take two showers a day. My parents are like, don't even think about it. <laughs> don't even think about it. You get one a day and don't stay in the hot water too long. Because if when my parents want to get in there, there better be hot water there too. Um, but we can see this in the book of Judges. We can get to see things getting worse and worse. Um, you know, I can tell you this as a, as a young person. I came out to Washington in 1978. It was the spring, uh, winter, uh, winter, actually spring of 1978. And that summer we took a trip up to Seattle. So it was my first time actually seeing a real big city because before then the biggest city that I'd ever been in is Bismarck, North Dakota. Um, yeah, there's no comparison. Let's just put it that way. Um, the next biggest town I'd been in, in, in was, um, Minot or no, not Minot. Um, oh shoot. And it's totally gone now. Don't get old. Just don't get old. Let's just start with that. Cause then your brain will keep working all the time. You'll remember everything. Dickinson, uh, Dickinson, North Dakota, because they had a McDonald's that, the closest place I could go to, to go to a restaurant that had a name on it. That was a, you know, like there was more than one was the tasty freeze in Bowman, which was the county seat that had about 2,500 people in it. By the way, the tasty freeze is gone there. They don't even have that anymore. Uh, so now you're back driving to Dickinson if you want to eat in somewhere other than McDonald's. But you think about where I grew up right now, that whole area where I grew up in, I talked to a pastor who's the uh, a pastor of a Baptist, a good Baptist church in uh, Bismarck. There is not one King James Bible-believing Baptist church anywhere within probably two hours of where I grew up in North Dakota. None. But I want you to think about it. I thought, you know, that's pretty bad, is it? It's an hour and 15 minutes for me to get from Shehalis to here. There are no real King James Bible-believing Baptist churches between here and there. That's sad to say. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of Baptist churches. There's churches that tell you they're King James believers. Uh, no, they're not. You know, they believe a form of it, right? Well, we believe the original Greek that underlies the King James Bible. And you'll know, it's very easy to tell if they don't really believe the King James Bible because they're going to go to the Greek. They're going to keep running to the Greek. They're going to keep running to the Hebrew to prove their point and show you how smart they are. I'm not that smart. English is hard enough for me. If you don't think so, ask my wife. She had to be the English teacher for all of our kids. I still don't understand some stuff. I read some sentences in the Bible and I'm like, okay, honey, can you explain? I think I know maybe what this means, but can you explain it to me when they got semicolons and colons and other stuff? What is this? What's this supposed to mean? Right? Kind of a thing. English is my first language. I have enough of a trouble with it. I'm not looking for another one. And please, Lord, don't call me somewhere else. Um, but nonetheless, as a young kid, I went up to Seattle and I got to see the big city and all the bright lights and all that other stuff. It was also my first indication of seeing a lot of other things too I'd never seen before either. Uh, when I was up there, I was up there with my uncle. My uncle, 
He's a trial at times. I love him, but he's a trial at times. And so we're up there and we're walking around uh, down by uh, downtown where they have the fish market and they throw the fish and all that kind of stuff. We're rocking around. And so I'm walking with my dad and following my uncle and we're walking around Seattle and we walk by this bench and there's two guys there sitting awful close to each other. And one of them looked at the other and says, oh, look at the cuties. I had no clue what was going on other than we were very lucky that my uncle did not hear him. Otherwise, you know, there would have been a police 911 call and uh, we would have had to bail him out of jail for assault uh, because that's the kind of person he was. I had never seen anybody like that before. I didn't know they existed. And I lived in North Dakota. You know, we just got wheat fields and, you know, animals. And it's pretty simple. We didn't have a lot of that fancy stuff. But look at where we're at today. See, you don't have to go to certain parts of Seattle anymore. You don't have to go to certain parts of Portland. Uh, you don't have to go that far to find whatever it is, fill in the blank of what you think sin is. Because you can drive down the freeway and go, that's stuff I, my eyes don't need to see. You can turn on the radio or the TV and say, I can hear things that I shouldn't be hearing. I, I, there are things that are trying to, ads that are coming in that I shouldn't be watching. You know, all those kinds of things of how far we've progressed. Just like the book of Judges shows us things getting worse until God sends a judge, things here are getting worse until God sends the judge. And he's going to come back soon. But the first time he comes back, he's only going to appear up in the clouds and he's going to call us out of here. But then there's the second coming where he comes all the way down and puts his feet on the ground. And then it's payback time. You know, all those people that are laughing at God and making mockery of who he is and all these other things. Well, God's not settling accounts right now in 2023, but he will in the future. But he will in the future. The real judge is going to show up. Um, we, and we can see a type of this in Judges chapter 5, uh, if you want to go ahead and read ahead of the book of Judges. But I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 25. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be what? Ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Let's face it right now. Some of the Jews out there are not exactly holy, righteous, godly people. Some of them are as vile and wicked as you can possibly get. Some, some people who are very anti-Semitic are actually Jews. I mean, it's a, it's a weird thought, but some of the people in New York City that hate the nation of Israel the most are ethnically Jews themselves and are taking the money that they've earned because God gave them a gift to do that and they're using it to attack their own nation, their own people. And God here in Romans chapter 11 lets us know as Christians, as Christians lets us know that, look, when we talk to Jews, they're a hard group. Uh, it's very hard to reach them, but they can be saved one by one. But as a nation, they have to wait. Just like in the book of Judges, God says they're going to have to go through a period of time, and then God sends the judge to get them back on course. It's the same thing right now. 2,000 years ago, there was three strikes, you're out, Acts chapter 8, and God says, guess what? You're putting on the wayside, and it's time for the time of the Gentiles to come in. God had set everything up perfectly through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that the Jews, if they would have accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah, there would have been no time of the Gentiles. It would have immediately gone into the tribulation. But God also knew what they, choice they were going to make. He didn't make them make that choice. That's their own thing. Just like today, we have people who you can give them a gospel tract and they'll grab it and they'll you know, whatever they're going to do, they're going to throw it down. They're no, thank you. I don't want that. Whatever else may happens. Guess what? That's still between them and God. They didn't like Jesus Christ was, and he was on this. Just think, can you think about it? Jesus Christ was walking on this earth and they didn't like him. The guy that was healing everybody in sight, didn't matter what the problem was. They could get healed. The people that had no food, God fed. 
Can you imagine somebody like that today? And yet they hated him. And yet, isn't it the same today? Sometimes as a Christian, you try to give them a tract, you try to witness to them, you try to say something nice to them, and what do they do? They just let anger come out all over you. And all you're doing is trying to help them. Not trying to be mean, not trying to be judgmental. Let's turn back to the book of Psalms, Psalms 119. Psalms 119. Or Psalm, you know. In my Bible, it depends on, you know, how many uh, Psalms there are on that page. It says Psalm or Psalms. You know, yours may be different. But in Psalm 119, verse 108, it says, Except I beseech thee the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. What was true in the book of Psalms here is true for us today. The only way we're going to get anything out of this book is if the Holy Spirit teaches us. Um, you know, I can come up here and try my best and draw pictures and, and have the illustrations, all that stuff, but the Holy Spirit doesn't give it to you, you're not going to get anything. It's not the pastor or the preacher who's up there. It's the Holy Spirit that brings the knowledge and the wisdom and the encouragement that you need in your life. And yet, we have people that get so hung up over the Holy Spirit, they forget His most important job. His job is to glorify Jesus Christ. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to show some things in the Bible that glorify the Lord and and make Him uh, happy with what we do, or happy is a wrong word. Look with us with favor because we're trying to do things right to the best of our ability. I can honestly tell you, I'm sure God's going to have a long list of all the stupid stuff I've done, the wrong stuff I've done. But more importantly is when God has shown me clearly what the right thing is to do, am I following that or not? So back to Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1. We talked about already that the death of Joshua came to pass, and the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? Now in verse 2, it says, Who responded back to them? Once you get there, sorry, I, I cheated. I had my little thing, so I could just flip that right over. Joshua 1 verse 2, it says, and who said? So was the Lord speaking to them verbally? Do you think? I'm going to tell you, I don't think that's what happened. I don't think that's what happened in this particular case. And it says, the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I've delivered the land into his hand. So we're not sure what happened here, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. Well, actually, let's go ahead and talk about that now. Does anybody remember what was on the breastplate of the high priest? Does anybody remember that when you're reading through your Bible and you go through, you know, all the stones for each of the tribes, right? On each of the stones, if you were to look at all the letters written on those stones, it gives you almost every single letter in the Hebrew alphabet. On top of that, there were two other things, and we read about it earlier, the Urim and Thummim, the light, uh, lights and the... No, that's not it. I'm ahead of myself. Uh, lights and perfections, that's what the translation of those were. And what appears to be, if you're studying this out, and I encourage you to do this, is one of the things that happened is you could go before the Lord and ask the high priest, I need to know something of the Lord. The high priest could give that question to the Lord, and the Lord would respond back with an answer. I'm going to give you a possibility of how that answer came. Those stones lit up and gave the answer. Because there's some things written in your Bible where... David went to the ephod, the Urim and Thummim, and asked the Lord for an answer. Well, if God was just speaking to you, why did you go to where the stones were at to get an answer? Additionally, there's another part in your Bible. If you remember, they had a whole tribe of supposedly of the Levites, and they came back in the land, and they said, hey, we're Levites. We want to keep doing our duty. And they're like, well, we don't have any records for you. And what was the answer? Not until there's a high priest that stands up with the Urim and Thummim can you be restored to that fellowship job? Because we can't prove that you're really a Levite. You know, that'd be like uh, in my hillbilly family. Um, that's the other side. We've got Norwegians and then we've got hillbillies, and that's about all we have. Um, but on the Norwegian side, they're called E-steps. 
Now, if you're on the north side of the Little Kanawha River, they're called E-steps. On the south side, they're S-steps. Spelled exactly the same way. It's the same family. It just, you know, family. You gotta love them sometimes. Or like, uh, on my Norwegian side, it's Prestegord or Prestegard. Uh, my great-grandpa decided he would get back at his dad and changed how he spelled his last name just to tick him off. Or that's what the family story goes. Um, you know, your family may be different. You know, I don't know what your family is. Maybe you have your own versions of those kinds of stories. That just happens to be mine. But one of the things to remember as we get back to the Bible on this is one of the things I think that's caused a lot of problem for these is if you knew that you went to the high priest and got an answer back and it was from God, you'd have a little bit more fear and trepidation when you got that answer. The problem is today is we can go to them and we can quote people of a verse, but there's no fear anymore. Yeah. Right? There's no fear. They're like, whatever. You know, we've seen people do this bad things and God didn't do anything to them, so therefore they must exist. You know, God must not exist and all those other kinds of things. And, you know, that's the unfortunate part. Um, if you, By the way, if you want to read about the 12 stones, go to Exodus chapter 28. So Israel, in this case, I think how they got into all their problems with judges is, one, the Levites failed in their job, and two, they lost their fear of the Lord. They lost the fear that God might hold them accountable for their actions. I can tell you uh, as a saved person, not living as a saved person, but living in the world and doing my just, best job to be just like everybody else who was lost that I was around, God will let you run out for a period of time, and if you're saved, eventually, he's going to yank your chain. He's going to say, I've had enough of you and your childish little behavior and attitudes, and it's time to bring you back, and he's going to reel you back in. Now, however far you went out and you just ran, it's really easy to go that direction. The direction back when he's dragging you, just mental image, you're being drugged back. You're going up over stuff and scratched and bumped and bruised and everything else. The best thing you can do, and I've told some young people this, is look, you're probably going to make some bad choices in your life. When that happens, go back to immediately where you were before. The last place you knew that you were right with the Lord, you get back there as fast as you can because you don't want the Lord to drag you back there. You know, it's kind of like the old story about, uh, you know, when your parents were um, giving you the rod of correction. You know, I, one of my friends said, you know what works really good? You grab a hold of your parent and you grab a hold of their leg as hard as you can. And then you look up at it and you stare at them the whole time. Now, there's a couple reasons for this. One is because the parent may not want to really swing with all their strength just in case they miss you and they hit themselves. So, you know, you you might have that. If there's any kids here, don't listen to this. This is probably the wrong story to be telling. Uh, but nonetheless is, when you think about that, of the punishment that's come, it's the fear of the Lord. Sometimes the things to be fearful are, are not that God's going to come down and rock your world. It may be that God just takes his hand of protection over you and he goes, it's all yours. How about it? That's the scary thing. Because, you know, it's kind of like, the, you know, they have all the people that say, don't drive faster than your guardian angel could go, right? I'm not worried about the guardian angel. I'm worried about the umbrella of God and that I stay within those parameters. That's way more important. But continuing back to the book of Joshua, let's turn over to Joshua chapter 24, and we're going to look at verse 11. And verse 11, it says, And ye went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword nor with thy bow. So Joshua was reminding them before he dies and leaves the scene of the fact that, look, all this stuff happened in Jericho and stuff like that. That was not you. That was the Lord that bought this victory. And so he's trying to remind them and encourage them, look, you're going to go in there and there's going to be battles. You need to have the Lord be part of that battle. But also understand, not all battles are Jericho battles. You know, I tell a lot of people um, that I've talked to when they get saved is, look, when you get saved, God may take something from you that was a besetting sin, that was something difficult for you, and may God just may take it totally out the window, and it's not a problem for you. But there's something else you may have that's a problem. God goes, oh, no, you can keep that one. You can keep that one. 
And why? Because that's part of the battles there. If God took everything away, what would you actually really learn? I mean, I'm all for it. I wish God would have taken away a lot of different things I had in my life. But the problem is, I never would have had a closer, a closer relationship with him. Because I would have had my get-out-of-jail-free card. What do I need God for now? And it's going through some of these trials and tribulations caused by me, not by the Lord, caused by me, that made me grow. Uh, and if that doesn't work, just have kids, because that'll just, that will change things directly. And in Joshua 24.13, it says, uh, oops, I flipped my page already. 24.13 says, and I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted, now do ye eat. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. You could take this and you could preach this to any Christian today. It's still the same thing. Guess what? There's some idols that we have in our heart that we need to get rid of. And I don't know what those idols are for you. Your idols in your heart are anything that block your view of the Lord. Fill in the blank. You know, I don't know what that is for you. But whatever that is, those idols, God's saying, just like he told all these people back here, the biggest problems they had is they got into the world and they got into the world's idols. Christians are not supposed to be of the world. We're supposed to be in it, but we're not supposed to be of it. And because of that, it's the same story today as it was all these years ago. Let's turn back to Judges chapter 2, or Judges chapter 1, verse 2, and it says, And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. Now, if you've read the story of Judges so far, you th- you know, or sorry, if you haven't read the story of Judges, you're like, it's all done. Ju- Judah's going to do all the work. You know, I'm in the tribe of Benjamin. I'm in the little tribe. Hey, this is great. Judah's going to do all the work. We're just going to move in and have a great time. Well, that's not how the story goes, Right? And we tell some things about this. Now, God said Judah will go. Any any thoughts or why God chose Judah? He didn't choose the firstborn. Remember Reuben? Go look, look in him. Didn't, he wasn't chosen for a lot of things. The next two brothers, Levi. Levi and his brother, Simeon. Remember the story about what happened to them? Their sister got hitched with this guy, and they said, well, you know, we can't let this happen unless you guys all go out and get circumcised. And on the third day, they came through and killed all the men. That was Simeon and Levi. You know, good godly people they were. Who is the fourth brother? Judah. Who is the brother that seemed to be kind of in charge of things when the whole Joseph thing happened and they had to go down to Egypt to get land or get food? Judah. Who did God say... Guess what? There's going to come a king out of this particular tribe. Judah. What tribe is the Lord Jesus Christ from? Judah. So sometimes in the Old Testament, finding out what tribe people are in and starting that tribe is a good thing. Um, in Judges chapter 1 verses 2, in, or sorry, in 1 Chronicles 5 2, it says, For Judah prevailed above his brethren and became of him became the chief ruler, but the birthright was Joseph's. One of the things to understand sometimes is God's not always fair how we look at it. Sometimes God may look at your family and he may just take one person and treat him a little different than he will somebody else. That's God's option. You know, you may have a big family and God, you know, you may have had the firstborn or the, maybe it's the baby of the family, you know, the golden child, whichever the case may be. You know, however you view all of that, God has a different economy because he's looking in the heart. Remember David? Samuel comes through there and he sees all of them. We're going to anoint one. Is this all the ones you got? Well, yeah, we got the runt kid out with the sheep and the goats. We'll bring him in if you want, but these are all the good ones. These are all the strong ones. These are the, all the ones fit for battle and, and they're grown and mature and all that stuff. And like, God doesn't want any of them. Not that he didn't want them, but he didn't want them for that particular purpose. We don't know sometimes what God's purpose for people in their lives would be. On top of that, if God told you to go up to battle for him, would you go or would you have an excuse? And let's just face it. God's battles are not always the battles we want to be. You know, there are some like, hey, 
Sign me up as long as I know I'm going to win against Goliath. I'm all for that one, right? Some of those kinds of things, it's easy to, to look at those and go, this is such a great story. Yes, it'd be great to be that. Yeah, but those aren't all these, the battles that God wants you to be in. What if you're like Pastor Stewart and God goes, I want you to be in a battle with your health. Maybe he goes, you know what? For you, I want you to be a battle of poverty. For somebody else, it could be a totally different battle. You know, there's all sorts of different battles in life that you go to. And guess what? What God wants us to do is go, Lord, whatever your will is, whatever it is that you want me to go through, sign me up. I want to be on your side doing your will, period. No exceptions, no ifs, ands, and buts. No, but I got to go back and bury my parents, you know, any of that kind of stuff. God goes, I just want people to say, yes, Lord. That's a hard thing. Because in order to be able to say that, you got to be real with your heart towards the Lord to go and hear my Lord send me. And guess what? God has a really good tendency in finding things that you don't want to do and have you do them. Sometimes, because why? He wants to see what your heart's really at. But you're like, but Lord, I'm slow of speech and, you know, I don't hear so good and all sorts of other stuff. God goes, you're perfect for the job. <laughs> right? Well, you know, Lord, I got this bad shoulder and, you know, I just, I just can't. You're perfect for the job. You know, Lord, I got this bad foot or ankle or knee and, you know, I can barely walk. God's going, great. You'll be great in the wilderness. Right? That's how God's sense of humor is sometimes. But the real question is, why? Because if you had all the talents and capabilities in the world and you did them, that would be no surprise. But when God takes the weak things, the beggarly things, the things that the world doesn't have any value to. And he takes them and he says, you know what? I can use this. You know why? Because they're going to give me all the glory, number one. And number two, when you see them do stuff, you know it's of God. You know it's not X person. See, there's a lot of people that have talents and capabilities. You have three people that can play the piano. That's amazing. Or at least three in here that I, that I've heard since I've been here. That's an amazing gift and talent to be able to have. Not a whole lot of people have that. I, I don't, you know, I might, I don't think I can even do chopsticks anymore. You know, it's, it just wouldn't be there. But the thing is, is once you know what those gifts are and God's given to you, God says, I want you to use them for me, not for yourself. And the second thing is you're going to have battles as a Christian. Because things happen to the just and the unjust. And when you go through those battles, are you still going to go the same thing? Okay, Lord, I don't want to be here. Just, I mean, let's just be, let's just be real with God when we have these issues come up. Lord, I don't want to be here. This is horrible. But if you want me to be here, I'll stay here. See, that's the heart difference. When God sees somebody that does that, he's like, I can do something with him. I can do something with her. Why? Because they're sold out. They're all in for what the Lord has. That's an amazing thing. The problem is we get so people, sometimes you get doing something and then people start like, hey, you're pretty good at this. And they're going like, you're right, I am. You know, <clears throat> you know, glad you finally noticed, you know, kind of a thing. And God goes, can't use you anymore. Can't use you anymore. You forgot where all this stuff was coming from. And that's what, that's just what the whole story of Judges is doing. So when we look at the first brother, Simeon, why not him? I mean, he was the oldest brother, right? He was the one that was the ransom by Joseph. Can you imagine what that must have been for Simeon? They're down in Egypt. Somebody's got to pay the piper. Somebody's got to stay behind. It's like, you're the one. Ever thought about why Joseph picked him? There's a reason for it. I don't know. I'm not saying that I know the reason, but I guarantee you there are no accidents in our Bible about why Joseph told uh, Simeon, you get to stay behind. Now, there's some truths about Simeon we're going to talk a little bit about um, tonight and uh, next Sunday night. And part of that is dealing with why uh, Simeon was chosen by Judah to go up there. That's the next verse we read is Judah's like, okay, I got to go. Simeon, hey, your land's within my little area. Come on, let's go. Now, this is a very simple thing from a worldly perspective. One is Judah was given all this land, and the next thing God does, okay, and this little area here, this is Simeon's, right in the middle of it. Nobody else had that little arrangement. 
you know, it's like, hey, there's too much land for Judah, so Simeon, you take the spot right in the middle. Also, Simeon was one of the smallest tribes. They didn't get bigger. If you look at the genealogies of how many people were in the tribe, theirs got smaller and smaller as time went on. So one of the things that comes up with Simeon, though, was they knew how to fight. See, there was something different about Simeon than it was a lot of the other tribes. They knew how to fight. They knew what it take, and they were committed to doing it. See, that's the hard part today. There's a lot of people that glory in war and all this other stuff, but they don't want to be the warriors. You know, they want to sit back and do it with push buttons and all the other stuff, not be the person in the trenches. Uh, Simeon was a pretty rough character. First Chronicles 12.25, it says, Of the children of Simeon, mighty men of valor for the war. I mean, would, is that a word God would use to describe you and your Christian warfare? A mighty man or woman or valor? See, in, in our military thing else, if you're somebody of valor, they have a special little medal for that. By the way, I, full testimony, I do not have one of those at all. You know, I, yes, I've got a whole bunch of medals. I mean, I do. But most of them are like, well, let's see. I volunteered for a nonprofit. That was one. Um, I just happened to be in the military for this period of time. That was like probably six or seven, you know, things like that. It's not like the old days. In the old days, when you had a medal on your chest as a military member, it was for valor. There was no doubt of why you had it. When God says you're a man of war, a man of valor, that means something. Whatever all the other problems Simeon had, he knew how to fight. For us as Christians, one of our problems is we've forgotten how to fight because our fight is not physical. It is not carnal. It is spiritual. That means getting down on our knees and beseeching the Lord in prayer. That means getting the phone call from the brethren. I mean, I've already told you guys before, when I have a problem comes, I know the first lady I'm calling because she's on my phone and I text her all the time. It's like, please pray for me. Why? Because I know she's going to. She's got sticky notes on her fridge. She's got them on her bed. She prays for people over and over again today. Why? You need people like that in your life. We should be people like that for other people. Why? Because circumstances come up. You know, you're all doing great here. By next Sunday, one of you may have something that happens to you, and you're going to want the saints praying for you. You're going to ask them to get into spiritual warfare, to get down on their knees and fight a spiritual warfare for you. I mean, if the devil didn't want the message to get to Daniel, do you think he really wants your message to get to heaven? Do you think he really wants it to come back down and have God do something for you to heal you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, all those other things? That's all spiritual warfare. That's the book of Judges. It's a book of warfare. It's because we messed up. Now you got to fight. And the fight's going to be a lot harder because you let the enemy get stronger. You let the enemy have all these victories. And so the battle now, hey, it might have been a small battle before. Now it's a big one. That's the book of Judges. That's our Christian life. So as we go through this, I'm closing this up now. As we go through this, one of the things that we have to remember on is that when you enlist in the military, when you enlist in God's um, army, that you're enlisting in the aid of your brethren. That means God may want to call on you as a warrior and say, I need you to help this person. And it could be in all sorts of different ways. Uh, when we enlist in the thing, it says, guess what? You need to put your faith in God and put down the flesh and resist the devil. That's the whole summation of your battle. The problem is that's simple to say. It's hard to live. Because for you, you may have no problems with the flesh. And then the person next to you may have all their problems in the flesh. Or maybe you just, all three of them are a problem. What are you talking about? I got the full load. I got the full meal deal, you know, kind of a thing. Each one of us is unique and different in that. But each one of us has the capability to pray for one another. There's no greater thing that you can have in the military is to have somebody right next to you in battle. That's why when Paul talks about the Roman army, he talks about them and not some other army. Why? Because they were marched right next to each other. And their whole thing is proposed on a battle line saying, you put on the armor, we're going to battle. And by the way, if this person falls out, let them fall out. The next person would take their space and onward they'd go. Roman soldiers did not retreat. They only went forward. They fought together. They ate together. That's great for us Baptists because, you know, 
we won't turn down anytime there's a potluck or anything else, right? It's doing those things together. When we do things together, it'll, it makes it a lot easier for us to love them. It makes it a lot easier for us to want to pray for them. Um, you know, the difference for me and Brother Stewart when I pray for him is I've known him for a long time and I've loved him as a brother for a long time. It makes it easy, right? But there's a lot of people that I have missionaries throughout the world that I've texted and said, please pray for him. They don't know him. They're still going to pray for him. But how much different it is when you have skin in the game? You know, you know who that person is. There's somebody to you. That's, that's what makes it real. Now, when we get to higher spiritual level, it doesn't matter whether we know him or not. We're still going to pray for him. We're still going to get down on our knees for him. We're still going to fast for him. We're going to do what the Lord asks us to do. That's the difference in the warfare. And that's why Christianity, Bible-believing Christianity, is so much different than everything else. Everything else is about how you feel and all this other stuff. And God's going, how about you just get down on your knees and get in the battle? Stop sitting in the chair. Stop waiting to be entertained. Stop waiting to have my ears tickled by some new thing. And let's get in the battle. And let's get in the battle together and let's get to battle as a group. Because when we do, that's when great things can happen. That's why the first century Christians had so much victory in spite of all the oppression and other stuff going on. Why? They knew they were in the battle. They treated it like a battle and they locked arms together and off they went. Now, some of them lost their lives. That's true. We don't have that problem today. You know, I can go out and pass out tracks. You know, somebody might spit on you, yell at you, whatever else, but that's it. We, we do have the benefits. We're not in Afghanistan. We're not in Iran, Iraq, and some of these other places where I'm doing right now, I'd be dead. Just getting up in front of you and talking to you about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's off with their head. It's easy to do it here. And besides, you're all, you know, let's just face it. You're all pretty nice people and nobody's thrown it in. Now there was some talk about bringing stuff in last week, but nobody brought anything in to throw at me. Right? The Christian walk, the people that are you around here are the ones that you need to just join arms with spiritually and fight the good fight of faith. Why? Because as it gets darker, as we get closer to the end, it's going to be harder and harder for you to live that Christian walk. And it, how much the better it is when you are enjoined and twined in Christian worship and in Christian warfare together. So let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for each person here. I pray, Lord, for each person here, you would bless them for coming, Lord. Your Bible says there is a blessing from hearing your word. But, Lord, I want you to bless them in a special way this week. That, Lord, they have needs and wants in their heart, Lord, that I don't know anything about, but I know you do. And I pray, Lord, that you'd minister to these needs, Lord. You'd minister to these concerns that they have over this next week, Lord. And help them to go forth saying, you know, we got something from the book today. And it wasn't because of the person who was behind the pulpit. It's because of how great you are as a God and how great your book is and how much you love me as a saved individual. So please, Lord, be with us all this evening and this next week. Just fill these saints up with the Holy Spirit, Lord, and use them in the Christian battle for your glory and purpose. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.